Welcome to Talking Mopars, episode number 128. I will keep this intro short and sweet. I haven't been podcasting lately, folks, and a lot of it's been personal reasons. I had to say goodbye to my beloved bulldog, Winifred, and she, you know, succumbed to the cancer. And it really hit me hard. It really hit my family hard. So been kind of struggling through that. And that was right after I got back from Las Vegas. Literally, I got off the plane and my wife had told me that our bulldog had had a grand mal seizure. And in the next 12 hours, she had had a few more. And, you know, we knew we knew what had to be done. She had some neurological damage after the seizures and she's been battling cancer. So we did the humane thing and what was right by Winifred and we said goodbye. So that's been affecting me <laughs> quite a bit. I, I love that dog and I will miss her till the day that I die. But uh, Johnny and I were supposed to do some podcasts in Las Vegas. I was exhausted every night, got back to the hotel room and passed out. So that's my fault. And then once I got back from Las Vegas, you know, with my dog, um, I had to celebrate my 37th birthday in the midst of all that. And it was just a, a really tough vacation week for me. Um, but we're back. And, you know, there was a couple highlights of my vacation. One was Las Vegas. And the other was I went on a Mopar mission. And that mission took almost a full day, like 14 hours, over 10 hours of driving and over 600 miles. But I drug home a ratty Mopar. And I can't wait to tell you guys about it. There's a whole backstory, a couple different legs to the story, but we're going to get into it right here on Talking Mopars. But before we get into the ratty Mopar story, we have some listener stories to listen to. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter. And this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Before we get into the juicy meat of this episode, I have to ask you guys a question. Is your Mopar protected? Whether it's sitting outside in the elements or inside the safe confines of your man cave, it's important to keep your Mopar protected. That's why I'm excited to announce that I'm now affiliated with a company offering an amazing solution for vehicle protection. They have everything from basic indoor shields all the way to the top of the line platinum shields, offering the very best protection to keep your vehicle safe both indoors and outdoors from elements like dust, water, snow, and even UV rays. Their products are guaranteed to fit and are backed by a great warranty. To find out more about my new affiliate, please visit TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and follow the link to their website. If you need protection for your Mopar, don't worry, we got you covered. I'll tell you what, folks. It's been a while since we got some listener stories, and we have some today. I'm really excited about this. This is one of my favorite parts of the show. So for those of you listening, if you have a Mopar story be sure to reach out to me. You can leave me a voice message on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR. Share your story, and we will share it right here on the show. The voicemail box, the messages are limited to three minutes apiece, but don't worry. You can always call back and continue your story, and I'll splice them together, and that's what we're doing today. Our first listener story comes to us from Stephen Gagney. 
Here is Stephen's story. Hey, Chris. This is Stephen Gagney. This is your F-Body guy. Yes. I listened to you the first time on your 100th uh, episode there, uh, podcast episode. Please forgive the phone because it's early morning and everybody's trying to call uh, and uh, such. Um, me, uh, I'm one that has a 78 Polari, uh, Plumish Polari T-Top car, and it is a premiere. Like I said, I'm the, uh, I'm the F-body guy that uh, you uh, had on your, well, I, I tempted, I, I tuned in on your 100th uh, podcast anniversary. And uh, I'm one with uh, a vast many of different Mopars. Uh, and uh, let's see, I have probably 13 different ones, uh, which will include my daily drivers. Uh, uh, I have a 56 Plymouth Savoy. Uh, I am a avid uh, proponent and lover of the Polyhead 318. I just love that motor. I don't know exactly why, but it just has been, you know, I just know that it was built as a torque monster. And it would be absolutely cool for you to talk about something of that sort. There are several different uh, resources that you can uh, you can find if you go on Facebook. Uh, they have several different polyhead uh, um, places that you can go for information. The coolest one, because he builds them as well, his name is Bruce, Bruce Toth of Toth Performance. That's T-O-T-H. I'm sorry if you can't quite understand me because I don't have any bottom teeth at this time. You're a great old man. Yeah, and uh, so uh, Bruce Toth can give you all kinds of specs and information and what he's trying to attain and get. He has a 62 dart that he drag races uh, that he has of his own and uh, uses it as a test vehicle uh, and uh, he builds all kinds of other Mopar stuff as well uh, and he's lo uh, located in Eau Claire, uh, Pennsylvania and uh, so you know it's uh, and he's, a, he's an awesome dude he's an awesome fellow um, and there's a couple other ones uh, out there uh, and uh, you know so and a podcast on the F-Body would really be just absolutely cool, especially if I was able to participate. Uh, one of the, several of the different gurus of the FM&J body uh, groups that we have, uh, one that comes to mind, his name is Matt Keller. He has what's called the RT Ranch. Uh, and he has a prefer, yeah, he's got a bunch of, uh, of the uh, F-Bodies and M-Bodies and such. And uh, quite the collection, very knowledgeable man, quite a bit of parts that he buys, trolls, sells, and trades. Uh, now, as far as your polyhead motors, the polyhead motors started all in the 50s because they were the lesser expensive model, okay, uh, to the to Hemi. They wanted the V8, but they didn't want, uh, you know, the Hemi heads. And uh, for, you, know, you can make a Hemi out of a Poly as long as it's not a Plymouth. I'm not exactly sure. This is everything that I've been told. You may want to investigate this. Uh, so, uh, and uh, 
because, you know, the, the difference with some of them is that when you want to put the hemi head on the poly, you have to uh, redesign the pushrod galleys uh, where the pushrod goes in through the block. And uh, otherwise than that, it's going to rub and it's going to break and it's uh, not going to be good. So, yeah. And so on and so forth. Uh, I figured I'd uh, give you a call and, and let you know. And, uh, of course, the the first Dodge Polyhead was a 277 in 1957. So, anyways, uh, my F-body that I keep telling you about, which is a 78 Polari premier T-top car, uh, is one of two that was ordered in the state of Maine uh, with the T-tops. They were, one was mine, which was the uh, Valari Premier, and the other one was the RTSE, okay? They were the only two ordered within the state of Maine. Now, the RTSE came with a 360 and a four-speed. Uh, my neighbor was the service manager at the time that these were they came into the uh, Bessie Motors right there in South Paris, Spain. And he remembers my car. Uh, my car uh, started out going from Bessie Motors. Uh, the older fellow bought it for his daughter, and she drove it to high school and what have you. Uh, and until uh, she graduated, and then she decided she wanted something else. And it sat in the barn for over 20 years. And then a friend of mine by the name of Lee Ellingwood uh, purchased the car, uh, wanting to do some restoration, or this, that, and the other, because he's always wanted to do different things. He had that, and he had a bodies Dodge uh, that, uh, coupe that uh, I was kind of interested in. My son was looking for uh, a car for him to have. So uh, I convinced Lee to go ahead and sell it to him. My son bought it. And a lot of different things took place because it had the 318 automatic console, uh, you know, relatively nice car, but it needed a lot of work, a lot of brake work. And nobody wanted to touch it. Uh, so uh, I got a <clears throat> friend of mine uh, to agree to uh, build a 360 for it so my son could have a bit of a hot rod. Needless to say, the car got yanked apart and... Uh, that didn't take place. And uh, we, he hung on to the car, I hung on to the car. Finally, uh, I, we moved from where we were at and bought a different house and, and brought it out to where I live now in uh, Otisfield, Maine. And we, I helped him uh, collect a motor, 360 and transmission and everything else and got it so, and uh, we finished it. Put the headers to it and uh, dual exhaust uh, to up to the front of the rear end because those, that particular car did not come with dual exhaust, but the RTSE did. Um, so I had to figure out a way of getting that. So we got that all done, and my son is uh, 6'3", and very large young man, and sat in the car, and his knees were in the dash. Uh, right about the same time, I had picked up a 76 Dodge Charger that I had owned once before and sold to my buddy and then got it back. 
and uh, once uh, you know, I brought it into the garage and was going to start doing something with it. He sits in that and decides it fits him, and he traded me. So I got that car. I still have the car, and uh, matter of fact, uh, Lee Ellingwood wound up with that. 76 Charger and sold it, and there's another fellow not too far from me that owns it now. Uh, I'm 64 years old, and I've had tons of Mopars. And yes, I've had one that I really wish I had never got rid of, which was a 69 Dodge, a 69, excuse me, 69 Plymouth Roadrunner, okay? And uh, which uh, was originally a 446 pack car but i didn't know it until after i got rid of it <laughs> uh but uh i will i will be happy to tell you that it did get restored and molly mine had the uh it had the deal on the inside it had the regular style hood for the roadrunner but the uh the breather was up underneath and it uh oh i don't know what you call them uh the bumps and the, and the hood were functional. And uh, so uh, I really, really wish I hadn't gotten rid of that car. Uh, but uh, the other one that I I, uh, I had and that I've done, I've built a few. Uh, and uh, one was a 39 Dodge four-door sedan that I put a 360 in. It was just absolutely radical. Uh, and uh, it was just absolutely cool. I got foolish and stuck it on eBay, and it sold. And uh, my 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 pride and well, it's not my pride and joy, but yeah, you know, is mostly is my Valari. And I have several other cars that you know along the way that if we can, I'd like to go into depth with. And of course, uh, the Duster is a favorite. I and I am a B body guy. I really do. I love my B bodies because I really love that Roadrunner. My son helped me build uh, my my wife's 76, uh, 75 Plymouth Duster. Uh, and my wife, when she graduated, her favorite car, she comes from a all Mopar family. And uh, her car, when she graduated, she wanted was a Duster. And so my, my son wanted to honor his mother. And he hunted high and low. And the first car he found was a dart swinger. Uh, that was a story all in itself that I'll get into some other time. But uh, a, uh, we, uh, we picked up the, the duster in uh, Brattleboro, Vermont, and drove it home. Uh, I've driven many scary rides, but that one there just was something. It had brand new tires on the front. The guy we bought it from says, you can't drive it home. You have to have it hauled. I said, I can do this. And, well, there were new tires when we started. They were bald by the time we got to the house. <laughs> My neighbor decided he wanted to be the one to paint it. I had picked up some, can some candy pearl purple paint. Now, this is some really crazy paint. It's too bad it's a one-off paint. Uh, I still have some of it left, and I think I could probably come close to reproducing it because my dear neighbor never did a custom paint job and never dealt with House of Color Clear. Uh, I went with House of Color Show Clear, and there's so many runs on it, you know, you have to stand back 20 feet to get a good look at it and think it looks good. Uh, it's a driver, 
but uh, I have a tech thing that I, I need to find out what the problem is because ever since we've we had it, it would have fits of not wanting to start, like losing its fire, and I can't figure it out. I'm not much along electronics, much like you keep saying. I electronics and me just don't get along, especially automotive. Our household, too. That's a real shocking situation. But anyways, uh, I've been a truck driver for over 30 years. So I've seen my share of Mopars and yards and visited. And uh, I'm also a very avid early heavy nut. And uh, I have one little story I will share uh, on another deal uh, about the 24 Dodge street rod that I'm presently engaged in for my son. He traded a 72 uh, Coronet four-door uh, with a 318 that was pushing close to 500 horse. That was a wild ride. Uh, I can go into that some other time as well. Keep up the good work, my friend. And, uh, you know, you're doing an awesome job. And, oh, uh, a little hint here. Uh, I, I have... Probably, oh, over a thousand different friends, and most of them are Mopar guys. And uh, just recently, I, this morning, I tagged over 400 of them. So, uh, and a good portion of my friends that I tagged when I first started listening to you, now listen to you as well. So, uh, for all you guys out there that uh, listen to Chris, uh, this is Stephen Gagney. <laughs> Gagney, you know, whatever. Uh, just not late for supper, all right? And uh, to you as well. So uh, for all you guys out there that uh, listen to Chris, uh, this is Stephen Gagney. <laughs> Gagney, you know, whatever. Uh, just not late for supper, all right? And uh, I have my own program that I do, but it's not with Mopars. It's with uh, my faith. So. Uh, from like two o'clock in the afternoon to uh, 
Uh, well, it's 11.36 here now, which would work for your advantage because you're in Washington State. I was stationed in Bremerton. Uh, oh, well, I was stationed at the Bangor Attics, uh, just a few miles down the road from where the Trident Missile Base is now on a tugboat. Uh, yeah, because, yes, I'm a, I'm a Navy guy. I'm a naval vet. Naval vet, a minister, and truck driver, and all-around crazy fellow sometimes. So, uh, all right. Thanks, man. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Hey, Stephen, thanks for sending in your story, buddy. Sorry it took me so long to get to it. 13 Mopars. Wow. I'm going to have to have a talk with my wife because she's got no reason to complain about my three classic Mopars. Um, I have been wanting to do a 318 Poly episode because um, I know that there's like a little segment of the Mopar community that really loves those engines. And I understand. Um, and... To be honest with you, I don't know that much about them, and I would like to learn some stuff about them. So I'll probably be looking into some of the characters that you mentioned um, to see if they'd like to talk uh, 318 Poly stuff with me. Or even if you'd like to come on the show, that'd be fun too. Um, I will uh, definitely be giving you a call here as soon as I find some free time. I'm kind of a busy guy. But um, definitely want to do some Poly episodes. Uh, definitely want to do some F-Body episodes. I know that a lot of people have been requesting an F-Body episode, a C-Body episode. So what I need to do is get somebody on the show that's um, really passionate about those cars. And maybe it's you, maybe it's somebody else. Um, but uh, that's definitely something that I'd like to do in the future. Um, this is an equal opportunity uh, podcast for all different types of Mopars. So, you know, it doesn't have to be muscle cars. Um, I obviously like trucks as well. Uh, but I, I definitely want that to be known that I want to get to all the stuff. I want to get to the forward look just as much as I want to talk more about muscle cars. There's so much stuff in the world of Mopar. And I've said this a million times. There's so much stuff in the world of Mopar to talk about. It's like, where do you begin? Where, <laughs> you know, so, and I still have a giant list of topics that I've wanted to cover since I started the podcast that barely has a dent in it. So, I need to dust that thing off and look at it. The problem was, and it's not even a problem really, but I got so into doing the live streams and talking to different people that um, I got a little distracted with, you know, the high performance heritage episodes and Project Car of the Week kind of fell off. And the reason why Pro uh, Project Car of the Week kind of fell off, I don't think I ever explained this, um, was mostly because Project Car of the Week was really meant to be visual. And now that I can, you know, put things on video and do like a, a video podcast, I thought that would be a better way to do Project Car of the Week. And I just need to get back on track and start releasing those videos as well. So um, definitely want to get all sorts of fun content back on the podcast as far as the history of Mopars, because I know a lot of people liked that kind of stuff. I know they love the high performance heritage episodes. I've gotten plenty of emails talking about that. So I'll, I'll definitely be looking into that. Um, Definitely want to get a little poly, poly history in there. Um, and you shared some, so thank you, Stephen, for that. Um, I never heard about Hemi heads on a poly 318. That's crazy, but um, definitely something I want to look into. Um, <laughs> I liked your story about the barn find. That's cool. I do think it's cool that you have a cool Mopar wife. That's awesome. You're a fellow truck driver. That's cool, because <laughs> I'm a truck driver as well. And a naval vet. 
So thank you for your service. And um, a minister, that's uh, the Mopar minister. That's what that's your new nickname, Stephen. I'm going to call you the Mopar minister. <laughs> I think it's funny that you mentioned that you weren't going to preach to me except for Mopars. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny because this, talking Mopars, is the church of Mopar. <laughs> and in this house, I am the minister, Stephen. <laughs> I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, very cool. It's cool that you had a 69 Plymouth Roadrunner. From what it sounds like, you had an A12 that just didn't have the A12 liftoff hood. So very interesting there. Um, but th thank you for sending in your story, Stephen. I definitely will be reaching out to you. I can't, I don't like to make promises I can't keep. So um, hopefully we'll be able to uh, touch base with each other soon and have a discussion. Maybe we can get you on the show. All right. Thank you, Stephen, for sending in your Mopar story. This next listener story is from Josh, who lives in Arkansas. Here is Josh's story. Hey, my name is Josh. I'm from Harrison, Arkansas. Just got hooked on your show a few weeks ago, so I'm a little bit late to the game. I run a UPS route out here, so I usually get to listen to three or four episodes a day, so I get caught up eventually. So here's my story. March of 2020, my wife was on a trip to visit family in Yakima, and I had some money set aside that I'd been saving up to surprise her with an old school ride. Had a Chevelle lined up to get, and the seller started giving me the runaround. I've kind of always been a Chevy guy. But the dude kind of pissed me off, so I went on the hunt and found a 67 Coronet just an hour north of me. Four-door, baby blue with a straight six. Nothing fancy, but a solid driver. Bought it and surprised my wife when she got home. About six months ago, we were looking at buying a new house, and I had a brain lapse and posted the car for sale so I could put that money toward the house. My daughter, who was 13 at the time, was definitely not happy with me about it. She had been dead set on the car being hers. She made me an offer on the car that I couldn't refuse. So my daughter is now the owner of a Mopar, and I got two dozen homemade chocolate chip cookies for it. Best deal I've ever made. Really enjoy the show, man, and I'm looking forward to catching up. Thanks for your time. Hey, man, it's Josh from Harrison again. Hey, sorry to leave you another message. I was rushing through that, trying not to be one of those guys that rambled. I think I misspoke and said a straight six on my Coronet. I know that's a slant six. That's just the old Chevy guy coming out at me. So I'm slowly coming around to the Mopar thing. Appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Hey, Josh, thank you for sending in your story. It was a good one. I really love stories like this. Um, it's good to hear that you found the show. I'm really excited to hear about that. And when people reach out to me and tell me, oh, I just discovered the show. I love that <laughs> because it lets me know that people are still finding the show and still discovering it. Um, I only wish that I wasn't the one creating it so I could discover it because I wish there were more Mopar podcasts out there. Hopefully some people out there listening to this will be inspired and will start podcasts of their own. That would be great. And anything I can do to help anybody out there that's interested in starting a podcast, I would definitely um, be more than willing to help. Um, a lot of my tips and tricks will be on the subscriber platform through Facebook. So keep that in mind if you want to be a podcaster like me. Anyways, back to you, Josh. I think uh, a 67 Coronet sedan, even with a slant six, is a great Mopar cruiser to have. And hey, Let's be honest here. Your daughter has great taste. <laughs> I, and I think you made a hell of a good deal 
with some cookies, man. I, I, I wouldn't have refused that deal either. Um, I, uh, am happy to hear that I'm inspiring you and hopefully influencing you a little bit and getting your enthusiasm for Mopars cranked up a little bit. Chevys are okay. All right. They're better than Fords. Okay. <laughs> but I love hearing that I'm, I'm having a part in helping somebody get converted over to Mopar. I think that's great. And there's a lot of cool Mopars out there for you. So, you know, don't give up on that next project. I hope it's a Mopar and thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the episodes as you get caught up. Thank you, Josh, for sending in your story. That was listener stories. Very fun part of the show that I like to do because I like to hear you guys talk sometimes too. Um, I'm really far behind on my emails. I don't know if there's some stories in my emails that have been sitting there for a while. So if you've sent me a story recently and you have not heard it on the show yet, please send me an email reminder and it's easier for me to search through my emails if I have your email. So um, if you want to hear yourself on the show, you can send me a voicemail at 209-28-MOPAR and I will play your story on the show with crafty editing, of course. <laughs> Don't feel bad if you make a mistake or you stumble on your words. I can always help you with that. And I'm, I'm pretty good about splicing together the messages to make one um, pretty cohesive message. So thank you all for listening. Um, that was listener stories. I, I still want to hear all your stories. Um, there was a long time there where I wasn't getting any, and it was kind of disappointing because I like to tell them. But I also know that I was starting to do a lot of live streaming, and it's kind of weird telling stories <laughs> of somebody else on there. But it might be fun to play your stories on a live stream and get other people's takes on what you have to say. And that was Listener Stories. All right, guys, as you now know, I recently brought home another project, but it has kind of a backstory. So that's what I want to tell here today as we get into the story um, or what what little story I have so far of this car that I just bought. So, all right. When I was in Georgia at the Mopars 5150 sell-off, I kept preaching while I was making videos. And what I was preaching about was making an initial investment in a Mopar project and then using that project to create content to eventually monetize. The idea was that through content monetization, the project would eventually pay for itself. So what I decided to do was put my money where my mouth is and practice what I preach. So I set out to find a Mopar project that I could use for an example of what is possible with content monetization. If you stick to it and you're dedicated and you put time and effort into it, what you can do and that these cars that seem so out of reach can be easier to get and build than you think. So I set out to find a car that would be perfect for this little project slash experiment slash example of what can be done. I actually considered a bunch of different cars with the idea that I could essentially get a project and have it on the road for less than $10,000. And then eventually through this content that I'm going to create with the car, I would actually be paying myself back. But uh, even though I set my budget at 10000 all in on the road driving, I actually believe that it can be done for far less if you're strategic. A couple of the cars that I had considered were the Demon from the Mopars 5150 sell-off, a cheap local 74 Charger, a 70 Roadrunner, a cheap local Demon, a couple of 70 Challengers, and a few different cheap local Dusters. Um, 
I really wanted the Mopars 5150 Demon, but there were a couple of factors that prevented me from pulling the trigger on that car. The main one being how much it was going to cost for me to ship the car home. Just buying the car and having it shipped from Georgia to Washington was going to put me well over halfway into the budget of less than 10 grand and it was missing a lot of its vital parts so i had to pass on that one just based on my budget alone for this particular experiment the 74 charger was actually the most viable project at the time because it was only 1400 bucks and it looked complete from the pictures i actually found the car on um offer up and it wasn't listed under dodge or plymouth obviously it was listed under Chrysler. So it was listed as a Chrysler charger for whatever reason. And nobody had apparently jumped on it. So it had been posted like three months prior. I tried reaching out and the guy never got back to me. That's the only reason why I didn't pull the trigger on that car was because I never got a response from my messages to the seller. Um, the only downside that I saw based on the ad was that the big block that was in it wasn't running, which is no big deal because I have one laying around or had one laying around. Um, the 70 Roadrunner was a car that my buddy Tom from Rocket Restorations, who has been on this show, um, was dragging back to Washington from like a field in Montana. He gave me a price that was extremely tempting for a vitamin C 70 Roadrunner that was a three pedal car, but the car needed so much that it would easily put me over budget, just even getting it on the road or even getting the parts to get it on the road. So unfortunately that eliminated it from the list of viable options, which is really tough for me to swallow because a 70 Roadrunner is one of my goals because I really want a Superbird and I can't afford one. So the closest I can get is building a, a tribute car. So that's what I was thinking in my mind when I was looking at that Roadrunner, but every way that I sliced it, it just would not work within this budget that I had created for myself. Then there was a local demon that um, I could have had for like 1600 bucks, but it was such a rust bucket that, you know, my tetanus shot would have had to get a tetanus shot if I would have got that car. It, it was also missing the title. And the missing title thing is interesting because I found a great way to obtain a title um, for those of us that need titles um, using a special little loophole. And I'll just have to talk about that in another episode. I think it'll make for some good content, but there is a loophole for those of us that like in my state, if you buy a car without a title, you have to do what's considered. I mean, there's a couple options, but the most common is a three-year ownership in doubt, um, which basically means that anytime within that three years of the previous owner, after an attempt to reach out to him, reaches out to you to get the car back, you have to go through a court process, yada, yada, yada and you have to get the car inspected by the state patrol and because of covid it's like you can't get an appointment to have a car inspected so i've actually seen some ads on craigslist of people selling their cars because they couldn't even get appointments to get the cars inspected so now they're just passing on that headache to you um so i, I definitely want to get more into that because i know a lot of people every time they see no title they always back back away from the car um which you don't necessarily have to do. So I'd like to talk about that in another episode. Um, the two challengers were actually some of my favorite options because they were super cheap, but they both had several downsides. The first downside, once again, is that they both lack titles. One of them didn't even have any VIN numbers on it, just the last six of the VIN stamped in the cal and on the radiator support. And that was actually um, one of the cars I was trying to buy from one of my buddies. But uh, it was basically a rolling shell. And just 
getting the parts to get it on the road would have tore all the way through the budget, even if I built it off used parts, which was what I was going to do. Um, but I, I was ready to pull the trigger. And my friend, I, I, I told him I'm ready. And he never responded to my, to my message. So if you're listening to this, you know who you are. I almost bought your challenger, but you didn't reach out to me the day I was, I, I, I was ready up until I just spent the money on this car I just bought. So unfortunately, um, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, cause that car would have definitely put me over budget, but it would have been so cool. I wanted to build like an old, um, pro stock, uh, tribute car that was street legal, of course. Um, but the, the whole title issue with that car and the VINs was going to be a problem. Um, but the other challenger was also a 70. This one was actually, uh, in my opinion, a better option. Cause it was actually a legit RT car. And I had watched the price fall on offer up from 10,000 to like 5,000. I called the guy and I said, hey, and I had $3,000 and I said, Hey, would you take $3,000 for it? And the guy actually told me I would take less than $3,000. <laughs> He's like, I'd actually take less than that. I'm like, what? <laughs> that, that's a first. Um, and I said, okay, uh, what would you take for the car? Uh, would you take 2000? And he said, yes. So at this point I was like, all right, I'm buying a 70 challenger RT with no title for $2,000. Um, it had the rally gauges. It had an eight and three quarter in the back. Um, and, uh, the RT hood, but, uh, another situation where the guy didn't get back to me. I was ready to buy the car, did not get back to me. So I guess it was all, all for the good, <laughs> you know, cause I would have, mistakenly bought either of them if the sellers had gotten back to me, but they didn't. And I'm not that desperate. So I just moved on from those two challengers. Um, the local dusters that I was looking at, you know, they were okay, but they all were either too much money for what they were, or they lacked, I don't even know what to call it, the it factor, I guess, when it comes to projects, I have to have, like, if I, if I'm looking at a project car, I have to have a vision in my head of what the car could be. And I also have to like that vision and neither of the dusters that I was looking at actually had that unfortunately. But what's funny is that I have a buddy named Scott who has an entire collection of project cars and all of which I like, but one car always stood out to me. I could never figure out why, but Scott has, or now he had <laughs> a red 73 Roadrunner project car. It was ratty, had an engine and transmission, um, but it didn't run. It had some of the interior and the pictures that I had always seen were of it um, jacked up in the back. You know that Johnny Mopar calls it the stink bug look. I call it the angry landscaper because it's got such um, mean rake. <laughs> uh, yes, I coined that term, <laughs> the angry landscaper look. <laughs> <laughs> stupid that's funny um but uh it had some like old school craggers on the back um and i just liked the way it looked and you know truth be told i've never been the biggest fan of 73 roadrunners i actually really like the 71 72s preferably the 71s but the more i looked at that car the more i was like that car can be kind of cool you take the bumper guards off and you know you get it jacked up in the back and um the front end, I, I kept looking at the front end of this car and as I was looking at it and, you know, I, I thought maybe I was mentally messing with myself. Like maybe I'm convincing myself that this car is cool. And the more I looked at it, the more I actually really liked it. Um, you know, there's 
every single Roadrunner ever made. Yes, even the really bad, what, 76 or whatever it was, 75. Um, even those ones, I mean, I, I would never set out to get one, but I, I don't have a problem with them. I do think that Chrysler really pushed that Roadrunner <laughs> name um, as far as they could. They bled that sucker dry. But anyways, 73, in my opinion, um, was 73 and 74 were like the last of the Mohicans. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyways, I had seen Scott post about this car and all of the rest of his cars because um, he always had them for sale or trade. And the car was pretty complete. And it was a real Roadrunner, which was cool. It was an RM21 car. So it wasn't like a satellite with the stripe or anything like that and with the hood. It was a real Roadrunner. So that right there is a great selling point for me because I've never owned a Roadrunner and I always wanted to own a Roadrunner. Um, but for some reason, <laughs> that thing always stole my attention. When Scott would post about his cars that he was thinking about trading or selling, that car always stole the attention. And um, I, I don't know why. I just, I was, I was attracted to it for some reason. So finally, one day I see that Scott posts his collection again, proposing a possible trade or cash deal. And I just couldn't help myself. And I asked him, you know, how much you want? <laughs> the problem for me was that it was a little too much for me to justify buying it when I initially approached Scott about it. I knew that parts for these cars are a little hard to come by. I know that they really don't make any metal for these things. And this one was kind of hammered. Um, and it's funny enough, it actually looked worse in the pictures than it did, than it actually does in real life. And that's me being honest. <laughs> um, I was joking saying that Scott was like messing with the contrast or something in the pictures to make it look worse than it actually was. Um, but uh, the, the car is reasonably complete. Um, it didn't run. And like I said, it was really hammered on the outside, which, you know, of course, in my standards is fine. <laughs> in my head, I was just trying to tell myself why I didn't feel like it was a good buy um, for me uh, at the time and for the particular price that Scott was quoting me. But after telling me that initial price, Scott gave me another price that was far more tempting, but it was still just too much to entice me to you know, wet my beak. <laughs> um, but after chatting with Scott some more, um, he gave me the friend with a birthday coming up price and a deal was struck. And this is where things get interesting. As a lot of you already know, um, due to a podcast that I had previously, uh, not too long ago, there's an event called the No Name Nationals. And I already, like I said, I already had the live streamed episode of the podcast talking to John Wilburn, who is one of the event organizers. So be sure to go back and listen to that episode. It was like a handful of episodes ago. It'll tell you everything you need to know about the No Name Nationals in Sykeston, Missouri, September 30th and October 1st. It is, you know, in a nutshell, the first event of its kind where to participate in it, you need to be a YouTube content creator with at least 500 subscribers. Now, I was only planning on going to the event and covering it, but somebody had to say my name and call me out. Now, understand this. When you should so happen to speaketh my name, I shall rain down upon thee with great vengeance. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, a gentleman named Dustin Ransom called me out. Now, Dustin has a YouTube channel called Dutch Guy's Garage, and he's a huge F-body guy. And no, I'm not talking about GM F-bodies, although I could definitely see Dustin in like an 82 Firebird with without T-tops <laughs> and a clapped out 305. But that's besides the point. Um, I actually like 
the bastard children of mom mopar so um you'll never hear me say anything bad about an f body um or an m or a j body you know i i love all mopars i'm an equal opportunity mopar enthusiast how many times do i have to tell you um anyways dustin called me out for the no name nationals publicly and what's funny about that is neither one of us currently even qualify for the event because neither one of us actually has 500 subscribers on youtube but me being the type of guy that I am, I accepted, even though I technically didn't even have a vehicle at the time <laughs> that I was willing to race. I wasn't going to race the Mr. Norm truck, and the van is in no condition to race right now. But you see, the verbal deal was basically already done on the Roadrunner. But its intended purpose originally was for a content series on creating content to eventually monetize and have your cheap ratty Mopar project not only hit the road, but also pay for itself on a budget of $10,000 or less. The Roadrunner is actually the perfect car to use as the No Name Nationals project car because it would be a content machine considering the fact that I was already planning on doing a buying and building a ratty Mopar on a budget while also monetizing said content to pay for the project build. Um, <laughs> realizing that this Roadrunner would be the perfect multi-purpose machine. I had no choice. So I pulled the trigger and I went and got the car while keeping it mostly under wraps as a fun little surprise. Um, just this past Saturday, I had, uh, you know, shout out to my friends here. Um, my friend, Paul, uh, who was gracious enough to let me drive his car. His, uh, he's got a really nice 21 Durango, um, RT tow and go package. Uh, very nice. It's nicer than mine. Um, so he, he opted to use his vehicle. He drove for a little bit. I drove for a little bit. So the driving portion was like 10 hours worth of time. Um, it was like a 14 hour, 15 hour day. We left at four in the morning, headed over to Spokane, Washington to pick up this car. It was over 600 miles round trip. It was like 630 miles or some crazy, something crazy like that. Um, but we went to Scott's place and picked up this Roadrunner. Um, I actually, when I was talking about it, cause I knew I was going to get the car. There was a certain point where I knew it was just going to happen. Um, and I, I, you know, I threw it out there to see if anybody could guess what it was. And only one person really knew what the car was. And it's only because he was good at putting things together. Shout out to Brian from dust devil garage. Um, he put it together pretty quick. Um, but to bring you up to speed, Dustin's challenge was accepted, and the Roadrunner is now in my driveway. The car is an FE5 Red 73 with a 318 and a manual three-speed transmission. So it's got the A230 in it. I wish it was a four-speed. I wish it had the uh, A833, but it does not. The car wears a nice sun-beaten patina. Let's call it that. And it doesn't run, like I said. And I'm just now starting to clean it up to prepare for the next 150 days of no name nationals crunch time to prepare it for battle <laughs> and it did come with a few extra parts and even some little goodies scott was cool enough check this out scott was cool enough to throw in a couple of cb radios for the boogie van project and an awesome gold roof rack for the boogie van i don't know if you guys have seen these but they're these old roof racks for these old boogie vans that on the little pedestals they have their little plates or their brackets and they have pentastars cut into them so i have this awesome golden roof rack for the van with pentastars in it um thank you so much scott that was an awesome gift uh, he gave it to me for my birthday what what a sweet guy <laughs> so thank you scott so much that is an awesome present man i can't wait to put him on the van um put the rack on the van and uh 
I did, <laughs> getting back to the no-name nationals here, I did end up raising the stakes on Dustin on Saturday morning on the way to get the Roadrunner because it dawned on me that what what's in it for me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I, I decided to raise the stakes and add a, add, you know, a little fun to the challenge. And I thought it was only fair because the fact is that Dustin calling me out is actually going to end up costing me thousands of dollars that I currently don't have. <laughs> so thanks, Dustin. Thanks for that. I have to figure out one, if I can get the car done in time, <laughs> you know, cause I don't want to bring a completely half-assed car out to Sykeston just to lose. Okay. Um, I have to figure out if I can even afford to have the car shipped with the way fuel is looking right now. Fuel prices are insane. Um, I spent almost, gosh, over 200 bucks on fuel just to go get this Roadrunner. Um, so I can only imagine how much it's going to cost in a few months to have it shipped to Sykeston, Missouri, and then back. <laughs> so Dustin, thank you very much for costing me a boatload of money. Um, but the fun little, the fun little add on to this call out challenge um, is a special little stipulation. And that stipulation is that upon losing the loser has to get a Mopar tattoo of their choosing. Of course, I'm not that much of a jerk, but the funny part is I didn't realize that Dustin had no tattoos. So that just makes the stipulation even better. So that's what you get Dustin for calling me out when neither of us are even currently qualified for this event in the first place. But, um, <laughs> it's all in good fun. And Dustin and I will hopefully run each other at the no name nationals and put on a good show. So Dustin, enjoy your publicity that you're getting. <laughs> um, calling me out was an absolutely ridiculous thing to do but I appreciate it. And I don't say ridiculous because I'm some big shot. I say it's ridiculous because I didn't even have a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a bunch of people you could have called out, but for some reason you chose me and in a funny way, I appreciate it. So it just lets me know that what I'm doing is, is correct. Because if, if I was a true nameless content creator for the no name nationals, no one would even be calling me out. It'd be pointless. So the big question I really have um, you know, the, the big question that I've been getting rather is what I actually plan to do with this Roadrunner for no name. And the answer is simple. I have no idea what I'm going to do exactly, but I do know one thing I have to get it running. Um, you know, the truth is that the car may not even make it to Sykeston. Let's be honest here. The reality is I may not even get it done in time. I also may not even be able to afford the shipping, like I said. So, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the next six months, but I can promise you guys one thing, and that's that I am going to try to make this happen. So with that said, Dustin, I hope to see you in Sykeston, buddy. And just know this, I don't plan on going all the way to Sykeston, Missouri, to Jeffers Raceway Park to lose. Okay? <laughs> Thanks for listening, my friends, and do me a favor, please be sure... Thanks for listening, my friends, and do me a favor. Please be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just look up Talking Mopar's podcast and help me get to 500 subscribers. Share it with your friends, your family, whatever you got to do. Just please help me get qualified for this event. I'm going to be posting content that is not available in full anywhere else but on YouTube. So you're going to be able to see exclusive Boogie Van Project videos as well as exclusive content for Dumpster Fire. I Did I... I for, I think I forgot to say that my wife named this Roadrunner Dumpster Fire. So, Project Dumpster Fire it is. Uh, uh, 
I guess I should probably say this too. You probably should go and subscribe to Dustin's channel as well. The car he challenged me with is a petty kit car, which I think is pretty cool. And I don't mean like petty, like lame. <laughs> it's like a Richard Petty kit car, um, an F body. So it's pretty cool. I'm excited to see what he does with it. Um, it's almost ready to go <laughs> already. So he's got six months to wait on me and to build his channel. But his channel is Dutch Guys Garage. So please, everybody that's listening to this, go over there and subscribe to his channel and also troll the hell out of him <laughs> just kidding just kidding don't do that just kidding for sure do that <laughs> see you in sykeston dustin If you're a car enthusiast like me, then you'd probably enjoy the same books that I do. I love to gain more knowledge about Mopars and cars in general, and that's where my friends at CarTech Books come in. Since 1993, CarTech has become one of the leading publishers of automotive titles for hardcore enthusiasts, with a plethora of titles available in their catalog. They have titles for everyone, whether you're into restorations, high-performance builds, or automotive history, CarTech has it all. They are a company run by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. Some of the titles I have in my own library are... Chrysler's Motown Missile, Mopar's secret engineering program at the dawn of Pro Stock, new Hemi engines 2003 to present, how to rebuild, muscle car special editions, Chrysler Torquefly A904 and A727 transmissions, how to rebuild. And look, folks, they have much more than that, and so do I. In my library, I also have books on how to vinyl wrap, modifying XJ Jeep Cherokees for back when I had one of those, and modifying the new Wranglers and Gladiators, and many more. So whether you're looking to expand your knowledge or just want something cooler to put on your coffee table, CarTech has the books for you. Visit CarTechBooks.com and find some awesome books to add to your collection today. There you have it, my friends. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For everything you need to know about this show, you know where to go, TalkingMopars.com. And you can reach me by emailing Chris at TalkingMopars.com or by leaving me a voicemail on my voicemail box at 209-28-MOPAR. And you just might get to hear yourself on this show. So keep sharing those Mopar stories with me and anything else that is on your Mopar addicted mind. Thank you to my friends over at CarTechBooks.com and also... Don't forget how important it is to keep your Mopar protected from the elements. If you do need protection like a car cover, don't wait. Head on over to TalkingMopars.com, click on the Affiliates tab, and go get your Mopar covered today. Before we shut this podcast episode down, if you want some Talking Mopars merchandise like t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and cool swag like that, check out the merch shop on TalkingMopars.com. And for exclusive bonus episodes and videos only for my supporters, become a Facebook supporter today and get immediate access to those benefits. That's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.